0: And welcome to the very first episode of my new baby, the Candidly Caitlin podcast. First and foremost, I want to say thank you to everyone who is listening right now, whether you are sitting on the toilet, if you're taking a walk, if you're laying in bed, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, thank you so much. I appreciate the support so much as I'm taking on this new endeavor. So I've said this a few times to either online or to people who I'm close with. This podcast is really gonna be a space for you and I to talk about the intersections of public health, social justice, and pop culture. Now, before I get into what I really mean by that and what my personal goals for this podcast are, I do think it's important to start with just a little bit about me and my background. My name is Caitlin and I'm a 23 year old black woman. I live in New York City and I've lived in New York City my entire life. I've been studying public health for five plus years now from undergraduate where I majored in global public health and anthropology to now working towards a master's in public health degree. And what I found is that my studies have really influenced the way that I see the world and how I think about the things around me. Often I'll see something happen either in the world of pop culture or celebrity culture, and I really can't stop myself from thinking and connecting it to some public health issue. So recently, Thee Stallion was involved in a shooting, and the response to her shooting online was one of jokes. People shared memes and made a mockery of the situation. And it really reminded me of this issue of not believing black people's pain, especially black women's pain. And then I connected that to the maternal mortality crisis, where we see that black women are two to three times more likely to die during childbirth than their white white counterparts. And studies have shown that doctors are actually less likely to believe black patients when they're complaining of pain because they've been taught that black patients can withstand higher levels of pain. And so we often hear stories of black patients being denied care or not being taken seriously. And then when you take into consideration that when someone is pregnant, that's a very vulnerable state for their body. And so when you're not being believed, the results from that can be fatal for either the person carrying the child or the child itself. And I feel like people online are really starting to have these conversations as well on social media. We're starting to have these conversations. And I really want to contribute to the conversation, my opinions, again, my background and my interests. And so to define public health, for those who may not know, public health is simply the study and the science of protecting and improving the health of people in their communities. It's done through promoting healthy lifestyles, researching disease and injury prevention and detection, and preventing and responding to infectious diseases. And you often hear about the social determinants of health, which basically just says that the social and the lived environments that we are in impact both our access to health and our health in general. And we're seeing public health policies play out in real time as we live through this global pandemic. I really never imagined that a year after graduating with my bachelor's in public health and now getting my master's, that my studies would be so relevant. People are having conversations about wearing a mask, social distancing, flattening the curve, all of which are public health talking points. So there are many fields of public health. There's environmental health, epidemiology, global health, health policy, education, and community health. Community health is actually what I'm studying. And over the course of this podcast, I want to not only explore these individual fields, but again, to connect that with some of the things happening in the real world, and to give us real world examples of what these these fields represent. And so some of the questions that we might talk about and think about together are, how is social media as a tool for sharing information both helpful and harmful, especially when we're talking about conversations around wearing your mask? We've seen that play out in real time. Or can we have larger conversations around building black wealth while not forgetting the history of racism through economic policy here in America? And of course we have today's topic, how do current responses to female sexuality, especially black women's sexuality, reflect historical biases and stereotypes? My hope is to illustrate that public health is present in everything and that's really why I love it so much. So obviously as a black woman, topics related to my race and womanhood will be very prominent But my hope is that I can also have guests on here to talk about their individual experiences as well. So if you are someone who would like to make a guest appearance, or if you know someone who would, please do not hesitate to reach out. I really want this to be a space to have conversations, to have feedback, and to get people to talk about their real lived experiences. And along with these podcasts, you can also follow me on Instagram at candidly underscore Caitlin, where I will be sharing information related to the topics and conversations that we have here. I announced this week's topic on Instagram yesterday, and I will be doing that for each episode going forward. And I'll also share just a little bit of background information on the topic to sort of contribute to the conversation. I won't always explicitly mention the information that I share. Again, it's really just an added, like, here's more information on the topic that we're doing. So so today we're talking about the history of sexualization of black women. And I've been thinking about this topic for some time now, as we're witnessing the Me Too movement take hold, as well as this growing sexual empowerment movement. And then most recently, Meg Thee Stallion and Cardi B released their new single called WAP. And of course, a lot of men and even some women had a lot to say about the song's message, saying that it was an advertisement for promiscuity. It was encouraging wild and unsafe sex. And even a lot of politicians had a lot to say, trying to get the song banned. And I should say that I'm surprised by the response, but America has shown time and time again that they take issue with women, especially black women, owning their sexuality. But they never really seem to have an issue when women are sexualized without consent, when we project stereotypes onto women, or when we talk about the growing issue of assault against young girls. So on my Instagram post yesterday, I highlighted four unique stereotypes related to black women's sexuality, which have been perpetuated in film, television, and a lot of the media that we consume. I'm only going to talk explicitly about one here, but again, I do encourage you to go read it. I think that it really does add to this conversation and understanding the historical basis for why these stereotypes exist and are so harmful. So the Jezebel stereotype is one of promiscuity, lewdness, and temptation. It's based on Jezebel from the Bible, who was an Israeli queen. She was often described as being, as being unholy, and I do believe that she was also a prostitute. And this image was used to cast Black women as being immoral and lacking modesty. She is directly contrasted with the white woman who is portrayed as a model of self-respect and modesty. The history of this stereotype can be traced back to even before the slave trade, when European travelers viewed Africans as sexually lewd because of the the clothing that they wore and the practices of polygamy in some tribes. Notions that Africans, especially black women, were promiscuous were also used as a justification for slavery. And I'm using justify very, very lightly here. Um, During slavery, it was also used to justify the rape of enslaved women by their owners to produce additional slaves. They would argue that enslaved women were overly sexual and used that to justify the rape, which then resulted in continuous pregnancies, and then the fact that slaves were continuously pregnant they would use to again argue that they were promiscuous and overly sexual and lewd. Even following slavery and still to this day, the portrayal of black women has been one of promiscuity and overt sexualization, and this has led to a culture of not believing black women when they report sexual abuse and rape, and in placing blame on them for quote-unquote asking for it. There's a well-known case of a woman named Reese Taylor during the Jim Crow era who was brutally raped by six white males in Alabama, and when she reported the crime, the assailants were never jailed, and she was only offered an apology in 2011. This culture is so pervasive that even in the language that we use to talk about black girls and sexuality is influenced. I remember growing up, there was this nar- narrative of the fast black girl. You know, my mom would say, oh, I don't like fast-ass girls. It was used to describe girls who were quote-unquote seeking or receiving attention from men, typically older men. Or when you think about being in your home and an older gentleman would come over and you're told to put on longer pants, put on longer t-shirts so you're not enticing them in some way. And this is a really gross misrepresentation of black girls and it promotes this culture of body and victim shaming and we really have to dispel these narratives around it. These narratives feed into environments which make sex so unsafe for young black girls. According to the National Organization for Women, nearly 60% of black girls will experience sexual violence before the age of 18 years old. Sexual violence perpetrated against black women is often ignored and dismissed, again because of those biases and those stereotypes that I talk, that we've talked about. For every 15 black women who are raped, only one will report their assault. The relationship with law enfor- enforcement as black women is filled with abuse, mistrust, neglect, and that often influences whether or not a girl will come forward and tell her story. It's also about how we internalize as black women our thoughts about our own sexuality. So when I think of my own earlier sexual experiences, the way that it was framed to me was always for the pleasure of the man. And when I think about my first time having sex, while I wouldn't necessarily call it rape, it was definitely an instance of not being 100% comfortable with the decision to have sex, but feeling like I had to do it to make the guy that I was with happy and to please him and it's not been until recently with my current boyfriend where I've even felt comfortable to talk about what I like or don't like in regards to sex and again I'm a 23 year old woman so this is pretty late in my life to just now be getting comfortable and talking about my own sexuality and what I like and what I don't like and that's partially because I didn't grow up having conversations about sex with my parents the most that my parents would tell me was like you're not allowed to date boys and even then the conversation was very heteronormative I identify as bisexual but growing up the idea of being with a woman was never even an option for me because my parents didn't talk about it it was like you're gonna eventually end up with a guy but you have to wait till you're 18 years old to do that and then when we think about mass incarceration and police brutality as well we criminalize young black girls for their sexuality or even for being sexually abused so when we talk about police brutality one of the things that frustrates me the most as we talk about mass incarceration in the school to prison pipeline black girls are often left out of this conversation but w- over policing of girls within school is a very prominent issue for things like their hair their clothing their behavior there was a recent story and i'm forgetting the young girl's name about a young girl who was jailed for not completing her homework she had been put on probation because she didn't complete her homework and then i guess she didn't complete it again and was put into a detention home and The idea that we would jail a girl for not doing her homework as if young children don't complete their homework every day is insane, but it happens every day in this country. And one of the biggest issues within the black community is a high occurrence of sexual assault on young women of color and a lack of resources to deal with that assault, which has been linked to the incarceration of these young girls. Studies have shown that young women in juvenile justice systems are a large percentage of them are there because of behaviors that stem from their emotional response to abuse. And I'm realizing that in connecting those two, I'm not saying that the young girl herself was abused in any way, I don't know that much about her, her situation, but we do criminalize girls for behaviors that are either justified when we consider that they may have been abused, or that is typical of a young child. I did a study at NYU, the Roses study, and it was on an advocacy program that connected young, at-risk girls with advocates who would sit with the girls and say, okay, what are your goals? What do you want to do? And it could be as simple as, I want to join a sports team. And they would work with them to really teach the girls self-efficacy and building their own self-confidence and teaching themselves that they had the ability to make decisions for themselves and to take control of what they wanted to do. And one of the most important things that we found was that girls had an increased sense of themselves of being who they were of being able to make decisions for themselves and a lot of the girls that we did work with had been sexually abused or sexually assaulted in some way and the girls that we worked with had to be one of the requirements for being involved in the study was to be at risk and that means that you were either involved in the criminal system before or at risk either being you know poor a minority some of those characteristics that we often see as a, a young girl who is quote-unquote at risk for being involved and so a lot of the girls like i've said were victims of sexual assault and so some of their behavior stemmed from that assault and that assault being untreated and this is just the cycle that we see we criminalize girls for being for those instances of what has happened to them rather than treating the re- the root causes of their behavioral issues and then even when you're not talking about sexual assault again where dis- disciplinary policies disproportionately affect black girls and they often receive harsher p- punishments for their quote-unquote crimes and they're put into prison so i get really passionate about this topic because i did that study for a few years and i've really learned a lot about how we talk about young black girls and again their erasure when we're talking about mass incarceration it's called the abuse to prison pipeline of girls being abused and then pushed into the prison prison system and this history of criminalizing girls for the sexuality and not believing them it translates directly into adulthood African American women are 2.5 times more likely to experience physical or sexual violence from a partner or spouse and black women are almost three times as likely to experience death as a re- result of Uh, partner violence than white women. And there are a lot of reasons why these statistics exist, including a history of mistrust of law enforcement, the fact that women are typically paid less and are more likely to depend on the man that they are with. But ultimately, my point is that the way that we talk about sexuality and not empowering women in their sexuality can often lead to detrimental, detrimental effects. And while it might not be the primary cause of some of these issues, it definitely feeds into this culture. I think it's also important to make note of trans and non-binary individuals as well. 47% of transgender people are sexually assaulted at some point in their life and discrimination makes them less likely to seek out help from police or hospitals or even rape crisis centers. And there's this real issue when it comes to trans women, especially just trans individuals in general, of this inability to separate gender from sexuality. There's this really weird obsession with their genitalia and with their sexual behavior. And we see this play out in film and pornography, which often runs on shock value. They fetishize and sexualize trans people. And then we have the stereotypes of trans individuals being sex workers because of the fact that trans people are often discriminated within the workforce and they're pushed into these into these jobs and then you perpetuate those stereotypes on media so i think it's really important to have those conversations as well about how cis and heteronormative the conversations we have about sexuality are and how that influences the very real lived experiences of people and we have to make space for people to explore their out their sexuality outside of the cis man cis woman having sex to reproduce conversation so really how does this all connect to cardi b and her, sing- her new her And while I don't think that Cardi B is in any way trying to be a role model for young girls, or is is this song really going to create systemic change that we need to see in this country, I think it is important that we are empowering Black women to and breaking stereotypes that black women have to be one thing that they have to be overly sexual all the time, but but that it is also okay if a woman is sexual and wants to rap about her vagina. Cardi B is a married woman; she has a child; she's very successful. She should be able to get on a song and rap about her vagina. Male rappers in the industry have been doing this for years. We've seen the sexualization. Of women when it comes to rap in the videos half naked in the background but suddenly when a black woman does it when a black rapper does it There's an issue And so I think it's really important that we have this moment of empowering girls and women to talk about their sexuality to explore Their sexuality in whichever way is comfortable for them again I don't want to make it seem like I'm like, oh, we should all rap about our vaginas do what's comfortable for you But you should have the space to do that especially someone like Thee Stein as well She is a college She's a college student. She's working towards her degree. She's very multifaceted, and this idea that, oh, because she chooses to twerk and rap about whatever she chooses to rap about, that somehow speaks to her character, is really just ridiculous. And so this sex positivity movement is allowing us to question these stereotypes to show that women can be multifaceted individuals. I love some of the actors and actresses who have been talking about the song WAP. And really promoting it we have kerry washington um posting about it like oh scream wop if you have a wop and not a dap which is a dry ass pussy and i just think it's great that we're seeing successful black women who are also you know celebrating this song that's really celebrates a women's right to talk about what they enjoy sexually and so I want to end this conversation also going back to that conversation of Black female rappers because I've also seen that play out online. Um, A lot of male rappers have been saying, like, oh, they only rap about one thing. Like, why can't we get some some songs with depth? And here's the thing about rap and music in general. If there's a specific type of music that you want to listen to, if you really want to listen to quote-unquote conscious rap, it's out there for you. You are welcome to go look for it. That music is there. And even when we're talking about female rappers, I love that right now there are an influx of, you know, female rappers are really running the game right now. And I love that so much. And they're rapping about different things. Like, if you want to know what this woman is rapping about, go listen to their music. Expose yourself to it. There are so many rappers out right now, and they're all rapping about very different things. Like, men are allowed to be mediocre when it comes to rap. We have... You know, the really good writers who write their own lyrics and they're really good rappers. And then we have the mediocre men. And honestly, we need to allow space for women to do that as well, to talk about whatever it is that they want to talk about. And so all of this, again, is really just talking about empowering young girls sexually, empowering them just in general. I think when you empower women to make their own decisions, especially young girls to make their own decisions, you empower them sexually. They go into these spaces and they're able to make conscious decisions about what it is that I want. And then also, it's important for young boys to see that as well, to see women taking charge of their own sexuality because that feeds into you know this idea that men are in charge or that men are the most important people when it comes to sex. Again, that's the, that's the, the roles that we've been like prescribed throughout history. And that's the roles that we are taught when we're younger, when we talk about sex, you know, the man gets to come every time, but we never really talk about the female orgasm. Why is that? And again, even me just saying that, as I'm talking about it, I'm realizing how heteronormative and cis-heteronormative that is, the conversation that we have. So we really have to just open our minds to talking about sex- sexuality in a different way that doesn't exclude people of different genders, different sexualities whatever the case may be and allowing people to explore that in their own way so i want to say thank you guys for listening um i it's this is new for me so i know that at some points i'm probably ranting or whatever but i really am really excited for this podcast and i just want to again say thank you for everyone who is listening right now i will be continuing this conversation on instagram so please head there candidly underscore caitlin and give your thoughts on this podcast how do you like what do you want to contribute to the conversation i want this to be a back and forth conversation and again thank you so much and i will see you guys at the next episode